It's on page 961 of the Black Bibles in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible or if you don't have one today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961 in the Black Bibles. And before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word this morning. We pray that you would please draw us close to you and teach us this morning. Be with Pastor Mike and enable him to uh, preach your word in spirit and in truth and with boldness this morning. May you convict us all of our sin and may we draw closer to the cross. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. With verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was this, that was that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to be uh, with you this morning, um, even uh, though a few weeks ago our family was on the ski slopes on, uh, on the Lord's Day. And you know, I was really actually blessed up there. Uh, we did a little research before we went up, We'd actually never done that before. And we found that one of the uh, churches in Tahoe City, Baptist, I believe, has a ministry at all the ski resorts. And if you've been up to any of the ski resorts, the major ones up there, you'll see a cross somewhere on the mountain. And at 2 o'clock, at all of our ski resorts, there's a worship service on the Lord's Day. Did you know that? And so our family skied over there to the top of Squaw Express One Lift at 2 o'clock uh, a few weeks ago uh, when we were there and, and worshipped with uh, brothers and sisters that we're going to be spending uh, eternity with. And uh, as we were there... Um, it's interesting how the Lord speaks to you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you in unintended ways. As we were there, um, one of the ways that God spoke to me was there were thousands and thousands of people, not just at that resort, but at all these resorts, skiing, um, probably who didn't know Christ. Some of them probably did, but many of them who did not know Christ. And the Lord was just giving me compassion for those who don't know him, and, and he's increasingly doing that to me, and that is really what, where we're going to go um, in today's sermon. The reality is that all of us in life have different um, ideas that we work through, 
we have different issues that we're trying to wrestle with. And if you're like me, you've, you've perhaps thought, oh, well, I'd really like to hear a sermon on, and you fill in the blank with the doctrine or the struggle or whatever it is that's going on in your own life. Rarely is that blank filled in with uh, two things I'm going to mention that are rarely in that blank. I wish I would hear a sermon on, uh, rarely do we hear, I want to hear a sermon on giving, financial giving, stewardship, and giving to the church or giving to the poor, giving to those in need. That's rarely something that we put in that blank. And a second thing that we rarely put in that blank, I want to hear a sermon on sharing the gospel with others. I want to hear a sermon on evangelism. Well, I can tell you this morning that we're not going to do that first one, all right? We're not going to talk about giving today, but we are going to look at what it means to speak the gospel, to share the gospel with others. The reality is that that blank is often not filled in with this because we have a a variety of reasons that we get nervous when it comes to sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ. Uh, Perhaps we don't feel like we know enough. And so we don't really want to even crack the door open to Jesus or to the gospel because we feel inadequate. We feel like we're ill-equipped. Or perhaps um, we're afraid of uh, rejection. We're afraid of that person rejecting us or rejecting the Lord, both. And so we don't even really want to go there uh, because of fear. Or perhaps we just don't like to talk. Anybody here? I I just don't really even like to talk to anyone. Uh, there's a certain person, I won't mention the, the person's identity in our home, but this person will have me call her own parents uh, to talk to them. She loves her parents. You know who I'm talking about now. One of her parents is with the Lord. But she just doesn't really like to talk a lot. She wants me to get things going and then it kind of hand her the phone. And so some of us, we just don't even like to talk. So to talk about Jesus is very, very difficult. There's a variety of reasons that we get nervous about sharing the gospel with others. I had Joe read that passage uh, this morning uh, in part to remind us of how simple the gospel is. What I'm talking about today is communicating with our mouths basically what is there summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was raised on the third day. And if we repent of our sins and we believe in Him, we can find not only joy and peace in this life, but life everlasting. This is great news. This is the gospel. It is the central message of the Bible. So, why do we get so nervous? I've mentioned a few reasons. Let me tell you something else as working my way into another reason that I think we're often nervous in sharing the gospel with others. Going back to skiing now. Our family, uh, as you know, I just mentioned a few weeks ago, we were up on the mountain. I got a picture, actually, of it. Here, I didn't tell Wayne to mention the skiing, but he mentioned it. Here's a picture of my boys uh, up on the mountain at the top of one of the lifts. And we just had an incredible weekend a few weekends ago as we were up there. Uh, the picture looks so much more vibrant here on my little screen than it does up there. Just this blue sky and these snow-covered peaks. And it's really just an amazing thing. You, you kind of, you know, you scrap these, uh, strap these boards on your feet and you go up to this little line stop here. And you just stop there, and then this like cushioned couch comes up from behind, and you just sit down, and 
go up the mountain a thousand feet or a two thousand feet and then we get to ski down this path some of which are like corduroy and and they're just cleared for you Uh, not a lot of work it's just a beautiful thing and guess what since that weekend i have told many many people about our weekend and i wasn't nervous in the least telling them about the weekend because it was a wonderful weekend it was a lovely weekend it was beautiful it was awesome time with our family. Even after we were done skiing, there's a hot jacuzzi down there. We got to go in that hot jacuzzi with the snow around us. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And you see where I'm going. Um, and I understand that there is a false analogy anytime we try to compare something like a ski weekend to the Lord Jesus Christ or to the Gospel. Because God is infinite and a ski weekend isn't. And beyond that, we have... Uh, our uh, God's adversary, our adversary, the enemy, with these these spiritual demons working that does not want us to share the gospel where the enemy could care less whether I talk about a ski weekend, right? So I understand there's somewhat of a false analogy here, but but hear me out. I'm not nervous to talk about the ski weekend because I love the, the Sierra. I love to be with my family. I love to be up there. So I want to suggest here right at the outset that we may have some deficiencies in our love for Jesus Christ that we aren't excited to talk about. He may not be as beautiful and glorious in your eyes and in your heart as as He should be. You may need to do some work on that. I don't know exactly what's going on in your life, but I know there's many times in my life where Jesus is not looking as beautiful and glorious as a ski weekend or as my wife or as some other thing that I love or that you might love, and we've got to displace those lesser loves for the greater love. And the primary and foundational motivation for sharing the Gospel with people that don't know Christ has to be that we love God. Love has to be our foundational motivation. We see this all over the New Testament. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We see it here in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. I speak in the tongue of men in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So before we even get into acts today I'm giving you my first point. Can you tell I'm eager to preach uh, this message today? Normally I'll wait till we get into our text. We're going to be in acts in just a moment, but when communicating the gospel, love for Christ and love for those unbelievers, love for those people at the skate park, Love for those people at school. Love for those people at work. Love for those extended family members. This is foundational in sharing the gospel. Sometimes our motivation is is legalism. Religious legalism. This is what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this. And if we have that kind of motivation, we're going to be nervous. We're going to be miserable. The person we're talking to is going to be miserable. We're going to bring the name of Christ low. We've got to ask God to make him so beautiful in our eyes that we are more eager to talk about him than any other thing that we love in our lives. Love for Christ and others is foundational. Well, what I want to do, we're going to get into Acts in just a moment, and we're going to see five other ways that Paul uh, communicates the gospel, and we're going to apply those ways Uh, to our own lives. Well, let's pray before we get into uh, Acts and continue our study uh, through this book. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that even now as I'm praying, that he would be becoming more beautiful in our eyes and in our hearts. Lord, so many other good things we see as beautiful, and we pray that they would be in their place. We pray as we see how glorious he is, that he loved us so much, that the Father loved us so much that he sent his Son to die in our place and be raised on the third day. That we would see that truth and we would have hearts that are motivated to talk to people that don't know him joyfully and confidently and without nerves. We ask that you would speak to us now as we look at your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that it is more than sufficient for all of life and practice. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be at work as we go through this passage, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Acts 18, finally uh, getting there. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Maybe you're already there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And we're going to be going through the first half or so of this chapter in Acts 18. Let me begin um, uh, going through verses 1 through 4. So Acts 18, 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right, so some comments on these first few verses. Uh, We saw last week that Paul was in Athens. Uh, Pastor Adam mentioned that Athens was about the size of, of Auburn. And so Paul has now left Athens He's on what we refer to as his second missionary journey, and he has landed in Corinth. And when we hear Corinth, we might want to think Las Vegas, uh, but bigger, and uh, and Port City. Uh, Corinth was about 20 times the size of Athens. So this is a big place, probably 200 more than that um, in Corinth. And he's there, we're told that he has met uh, Aquila and Priscilla, These folks have left Rome. They were probably founding members of that church in Rome. But there is controversy in the Jewish communities because some of the Jews are coming to see that Jesus is the Messiah. It's causing disruption. And so there was persecution in Rome. And so that's probably what brings them to Corinth. We see uh, in verse 3 that Paul was a tent maker or a leather worker. And I I love these kinds of details. All all of these little details in the Bible, there is a reason, there is a theology behind them. And I think in our our culture, in our own world, and probably in Paul's day too, there is an idea that if you're highly educated, uh, that that you don't do a trade or you don't work with your hands. Um, But that is just a terrible way to think. That's just false. So we see that Paul has this trade of of being a leather worker. And throughout um, his missionary life, throughout his his ministry, he is spending time doing leather work for the sake of the gospel so that the gospel can go forth and so that he's not burdening the church. And we have this detail here. 
And then we get to what I really want to draw out of verses 1 through 4. Verse 4. Every Sabbath, uh, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so Paul is trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Messiah. He had this opportunity every, every Sabbath to go to the synagogues and to show the people there who believed in Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, that the Messiah has come. And he is arguing persuasively as best he can with them to show them that Jesus is the Messiah. He is doing this week after week. And so, our second point about communicating the gospel with others is that we too should use well-reasoned and persuasive arguments uh, with others. And we don't have to be a scholar. We don't have to be a philosopher. We need to know the gospel, which is right there in 1 Corinthians 15 or in John 3.16 or a variety of places. We need to know what the gospel is. Uh, We need to know what our own testimony is. So one of the weaknesses is what I'm about to talk about is a minute think, well, I'm not a scholar. I can't do things like that. All that we need to know is the gospel. We need to know what he has done in our life. And then we need to listen to the objection person that we're sharing the gospel with if they have an objection. We have a long history of people in the church who have done this beautifully. And one of them in the last 50, 75 years was C.S. Lewis. Very familiar argument in his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, He writes this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Now, before I go on to Lewis's argument, what I want to really draw out from what he's saying here is that C.S. Lewis is listening to his audience, to his culture. Now he's writing, and we're not going to be writers, most of us. We're going to do this face-to-face with someone. But he's, he's recognizing that his culture, his people are saying, well, I, I, I like Jesus, but, but he's not God. He is a, a, a religious teacher or a leader. He's not God. So C.S. Lewis is listening to the objections, and that's what we need to do as well. He goes on in his argument. He says, A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He's saying to those who are saying he's just a, a, a religious teacher, a good man, C.S. Lewis is saying, that, no, that, that is not a viable option. He, he was either lying about that or he was crazy if he's saying these things. Look at what he said. Finally, Lewis goes on. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so we have this famous argument. Uh, Paul had his arguments in Corinth. C.S. Lewis has his argument here for those who are saying Jesus is a good man, a good religious teacher. He's saying, no, here are the options, liar, lunatic, or Lord. But we each need to listen to whoever we are sharing the gospel with about what their particular objection is. 
Others have very different objections than, well, I think he's just a good man. Look at this. These writers, uh, Kreeft and Teselli, write this, referring to Lewis's three hypotheses. All three hypotheses, Lord, liar, and lunatic, assumed that Jesus claimed divinity. Well, suppose he didn't. Suppose this claim is a myth in the sense of fiction. Suppose the liar is not Jesus, but the New Testament texts. This supposition is by far the most widespread intellectual reason why Christians have lost their faith in the 20th century. So here's some other writers who are saying, well, that argument, Lewis was connecting with the audience he was looking to, but there's another argument out there that says something like this. We can't even know who Jesus is. So we're not saying he's a good teacher. We're not saying he's the Lord. We don't even know who he is because because you see these religious fanatics invented the Bible, basically, and the Gospels. And so it's a fiction. It's a myth. So to talk about who Jesus is is really difficult. And so I don't believe in him. And so these folks are listening to that, to that argument and they've come up with, with another option. I'm saying all this to say we don't have to have sophisticated arguments, but we need to be listening to the people that we, God has given us love for who don't know Christ and to, to, to find out what their objections are. And if we can't overcome that objection, it's quite fine to say, I don't know how to overcome that objection, but let me get back with you. And we become Bereans, and we go to the Word of God, and we go to history, and we, and we study. And we need to be well uh, we need to have well-reasoned arguments when we are sharing the Gospels, when we are sharing the Gospel with unbelievers, using well-reasoned and persuasive arguments. So on the one hand, we need to have well-reasoned and persuasive arguments. We need to listen to what the objection is. But on the other hand, we need to ultimately rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So these things go together. It's not an either-or. Paul is preaching week in and week out. He's trying to persuade. And yet, he is also relying on the Holy Spirit. Let's go back just a few verses to the end of chapter 17. Verses 32 through 34. Let me just read that briefly. Remember what happened in Athens. Pastor Adam mentioned it last week. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. So we see there's these three responses back in Athens. Some sneered, some rejected, some wanted to hear more, and some actually believed. And all of us have probably witnessed something like this uh, in, in a church service or wherever where the gospel is preached and, and a certain person is just, just blown away, is, is born again, is, is touched by the Holy Spirit, and the other person is just twiddling their thumbs trying to find out when they get to leave this religious meeting. Have you, have you, have you seen this? Anybody experienced this kind of thing? Are you guys awake? We, we, how, what do we make of this? we make of this that the Holy Spirit mysteriously regenerates people and makes them new, and it's not ultimately up to us. So we need to reason well. We need to use persuasive arguments, but we need to rely prayerfully on the power of the Holy Spirit when we're communicating the gospel with others. This is a both and, not an either or. Well, let's come back to Acts um, and look at verses 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching 
testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So there's a huge, huge shift here in this verse. Jesus And in the Gospels, we see that the Gospel goes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And here's Paul's making this shift. Notice that he was under responsibility to share the Gospel with his sphere of influence. He had a responsibility for this. And you and I do as well. We have a responsibility to share the Gospel with those in our sphere of influence, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members. Have you been faithful in doing that? Have you been seeing how beautiful Jesus Christ is lately? Have you been compelled to fulfill the responsibility that we have to talk about Him with all of creation to the ends of the earth? Paul is doing this here. He has fulfilled his responsibility and they have rejected him. And so he moves on. And so the fourth point I want to draw out here is that silence may follow our sharing of the gospel. Paul has shared the gospel with these folks. They have rejected him. And he is shaking all the dust figuratively of anything to have to do with them off of him and he's moving on. Now, I'm not saying we should always do that. Sometimes we can do that. But Paul's preaching in a very public context here. Most of us are not going to be doing that. We're going to be sharing the gospel with a family member, with a friend, with a co-worker, with someone at a skate park. And so sometimes when we've shared the gospel with someone that we love, we've got to shift gears. And uh, we don't become silent in all things, but we become silent when when it comes to the gospel. And we now need to display the gospel. We now need to show Christ's love to that person in unmistakable ways, in undeniable ways, where they go home scratching their head. Why did so-and-so do that? We had a testimony in the church just recently. One of our men volunteered, went up to go help uh, fix someone's home. A a a labor of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. This man's an unbeliever in this home. Why are you here fixing my home? I'm here fixing your home because of Jesus. That's why I'm here. This man ends up coming to Cornerstone, ends up coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ from that display of love. We need to communicate the gospel, but then there's also times where we need to display the gospel after we have done that, perhaps for a long time, to show the the authenticity and the reality of what God does in the life of a believer. That's verses 5 and 6. Let's move on. Verse 7. <clears throat> then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. All right, so the, Paul gets rejected. He moves next door to the synagogue. Now, that would be kind of interesting. The church at Corinth is birthed right next door to the synagogue, and the synagogue leader has moved next door to the house of Titius Justus. That is not a Jewish name. He's not a Jew. 
This is a, a Gentile who came to faith at this synagogue and now has come to faith recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. And what we have here is the birth of the church at Corinth, right here, right next door to the synagogue. How does God build His church? He does it in a variety of ways today and in the first century. Here's how He did it here through faithful preaching of the gospel. It's not happening here. Let's move next door. All right, moving on. Where am I? Um, Verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. Let's just stop there. Uh, Paul gets a word from the Lord here in a vision to keep going. And I believe we need to be seeking words from the Lord like this that that we would keep going for that family member, for that, that classmate, for that person at work, that we would keep on going, whether it's speaking the gospel, maybe we haven't done that yet, we need to keep going and doing that, or we need to keep going and displaying the gospel and showing outrageous, generous love to that person. We need to keep going. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. This is what I'm bringing out of verses 9 and 10. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to be leading and guiding us throughout this entire process. Look at the end of verse 10. could preach a whole sermon on this phrase. I have many people, city. Jesus says to Paul in this vision. I have many people in this city. What is he meaning there? This isn't a popular teaching, but this is what he means there. What he means there is I have, through my love, predestined people in this city to come to know Christ. There are many in this city that are going to be in heaven forever. And so keep preaching, Paul. This is your responsibility. And so throughout the New Testament, we see both of these things happening. We see we, as his people, have the responsibility to labor for the salvation of souls. And we see that God has many people in the city. That before even the foundation of the earth, He has predestined some to love. And we get all in arguments and crazy and use all kinds of labels, which I, I hate to... Were you over here on this? Are you over here on this? As far as responsibility, it's our responsibility. It's up to us. God has, God has people in this city... So our wrong response over here is God has people in the city, so man, I can just, you know, I can just cruise. He's got people in the city. He doesn't need me. But that is not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches to go back, Paul, week after week, to to go next door if it's not working there. Paul feels a sense of freedom that he is now free because he has shared the gospel with his sphere of influence and now he's free. So both of these things are simultaneously true. We are responsible for sharing the gospel. We are free. And God has his people and he mysteriously calls some while others are twiddling their thumbs and waiting for the service to be over. It's a mystery. We're not going to be able to understand it perfectly but we need to believe the Bible and we need to follow what it says. We need to expect the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us. There are many people in this city. 
Verse 11, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. He stays there in Corinth a year and a half teaching them the word of God, these new disciples. So the final point this morning is that we should expect to work hard at this. He's working hard at discipleship. Some of them have come to know the Lord and he's now teaching them about the gospel, about Jesus, about this Messiah who has come. You can just imagine the eagerness to from the Apostle Paul. But Paul continues to share the gospel because there are many people in this city. We should expect to work hard. We should expect the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Some years ago, uh, Spurgeon was speaking to his congregation. I didn't read the whole sermon, but it was a sermon basically with the same purpose of the sermon that I'm preaching this morning, which is for us to have hearts of love for Jesus Christ that would joyfully share about his beauty and love and his gospel with others. This is what he said to his people that I want us all to hear this morning. He said, if I never won souls, I would sigh till I did. I would break my heart over them if I could not break their hearts. Though I can understand the possibility of an earnest sower never reaping, I cannot understand the possibility of an earnest sower being content not to reap. I cannot comprehend any one of you Christian people trying to win souls and being satisfied without results. We have to work hard. And we need to yearn for those in our sphere of influence to come to see this beautiful Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we pray that Jesus would be becoming more and more beautiful to us. We pray that we would work hard at sharing the gospel with that family member, with that kid at the skate park, with the classmate, with the spouse, with the children or with the grandchildren. Lord, we pray that we would hear objections and that we would be diligent in doing our work to show the falsity of those objections and to show the beauty and truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not share the gospel out of a sense of legalism, that this is what we must do, but that we would do it with joy. Lord, we pray that that we would not um, share the gospel out of pride, trying to bash liberals or heretics with our understanding of the truth, but that we would share the gospel from a motivation of love for Jesus and for those whom he has graciously allowed us to speak with. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to use our mouths and our lives for the most important thing, and that is to help other eternal beings come to know their Creator and their Savior, Jesus. We pray in His name.